Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to open to Colossians chapter 2. We're working our way through the study of this book on the supremacy of Christ, and in this section of Scripture where the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Colossae, he encourages them to make spiritual progress in spite of false teachers and opposition that are among them in the church. When I was a teenager growing up in El Paso, Texas, I took driver's education, and one of the things they wanted to teach us to do was to drive a stick shift. I don't know if they still do that anymore, but had to learn that, and we had to learn to drive a stick shift on a hill. So in order to do that, there's lots of flat in El Paso. We would go to the mountain, Franklin Mountains, and find some of those roads that worked their way up to the mountains, and we would drive that stick shift up the mountain. And we get to the stop sign sometimes, and you know how tricky it is to keep the, everything going. And, and, I, and I learned with a stick shift, the best thing to do is just to keep the car rolling a little bit, because <laughs> when you stop, you end up rolling backwards. Paul writes to the church of Colossae, and he's trying to say to them, just keep moving. Don't stop, because when you stop, you're going to go backwards. And I think that applies to all of us in the Christian life. If you would follow along as I read aloud, Colossians 2, chapter 4. For I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments. Those are the arguments of the false teachers that were being very persuasive to them, trying to lure them away. For I may be absent in the body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and in the strength of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord... Walk in him, rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world, not based on Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. That's a direct statement to the let the false teachers know that Jesus was God in the flesh. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by the putting on the, off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of the Messiah or of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him. And forgave all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations. That was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. I love that verse. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. Oh, there's so much rich truth in this passage of scripture. I could spend an hour on verse 14 right there, but I want us to walk our way through this book, so we're going to hit the highlights. Paul says to them to be mindful of some things, to be aware of some things, and to beware. So first of all, number one, if you're taking notes, hope that you've had that uh, outline in your notes there. Be mindful of your spiritual progress. Be mindful of your spiritual progress. I'm not going to read those first several verses again. Verse four through seven highlights that. Be mindful of your progress. In the Christian life, as I said, we never stand still. 
We always need to be moving forward. We're going to be gradually slipping back. First of all, verse 4, we need to make progress, and making progress is essential. Paul says, I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments. I'm saying this so no one will stop growing, so that no one will fall back. It is essential that I make progress. Listen, if a Christian is not making progress in their spiritual life, they are open to the attack of the enemy. If you're not growing, if you're not pursuing God through his word, if you're not fellowshipping with the people of God, if you're not spending time with God in prayer, you are open to the attack of the enemy. And that's what Paul is saying here. If you don't, if you don't grow, if you don't move forward, the Satan's going to come in and he's going to attack you. And these false teachers were doing that. They were tricking the, the people of God with false doctrine that slipped right into their theology and they didn't understand it. These same words that Paul uses here, standing still and, and, and not being deceived and persuasive, all these words that Paul uses are the words that the false teachers were using. And Paul just gives them the right context so that those people will see how important it is. They twisted terminology. I think about cults in our day and time who take Christian terms and put them into their deviant theology and their deviant Christology, and then they, they call it Christianity, and it really isn't. Be careful of that. There's a passage in Hebrews chapter 12 I want to read to you. The first couple of verses in Hebrews 12. Does anybody know where Hebrews is? It's in here, it's in here, it's in here. Page 1208. Therefore, since we have also such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Doesn't that sound like what Paul's saying in Colossians? The writer of Hebrews is saying the same thing. Let's press ahead. Let's run, laying aside every weight, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy lay before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God's throne. The writer of Hebrews says, this is how you live the Christian life. It's a race. You run. You keep your eyes on the prize. And he says clearly that prize is Christ Jesus. We Making progress is essential. Again, going back to my recent trip to England, riding the hills there, understanding how difficult it was. Um, I was the slowest one in the group. Surprise. I was the oldest one in the group, so that's okay. But they would always get to the top of the hill waiting on me. And Cameron was there, come on, Dad, you can do it, you can do it. But you know, when you only have that, that lowest gear, you just think, if I could have a couple more gears on my bicycle, and I would go and I would pedal until I could stand it, and, and you're clipped in. So if you don't keep moving, you know what happens? You fall over. It's not a pretty picture, ever. I learned that making progress is essential. It's the same in the Christian life. Number two. Making progress is illustrated. Now, we're going to walk through this kind of quickly. Paul illustrates what it is to make progress in the Christian life in verse 5, 6, and 7. We'll just walk our way through these. He uses several uh, vivid pictures of what it's like in our world to apply to the Christian life. First of all, he says you should be, be well-ordered in verse 5, well-ordered, and then he mentions the strength in your faith. Those are military terms. They describe an army that is solid, that is unified, that is one, that, that has come together, well-ordered in military ranks, like they should be, under the right ranking, so that they can stand against the enemy. Paul says, this is what we are. He says, I'm not with you, but you are to be this well-ordered, strong machine. How many times does Scripture call us soldiers or give the analogy that we're in a battle, that we're in war? Great picture there. Then he mentions in verse uh, 
6 there. Therefore, also as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, walk in him. That walking refers to being in a pilgrimage. He's not just talking about your steps. He's talking about your lifestyle. It's, it's a picture of being on a pilgrimage with Christ, working your way, like the writer of Hebrews says, to the end. He's saying, here's what Paul's saying. It, when he says, as you trusted Christ, walk in him. Jesus was enough for you when you got saved. And he's saying to the church at Colossae, he's still enough for you. You don't have to add anything to Jesus. Jesus plus anything else isn't grace. So Paul is using this term. You're on this pilgrimage. In essence, he's saying, dance with the one that brung you. Reagan used to say that. You know what that means? You started with this one. Stay with this one. Then he gives the analogy of a tree. He mentions in verse 7, being rooted. It's this picture from the agricultural world that, that it's a verb tense. It means once for all, having been rooted. In Christ, we are solid, having been rooted, strong roots, not, not like tumbleweeds. Again, I grew up in West Texas, and when the, the dry season would end and our short rainy season would come in, it would rain, right behind my house was the desert. I mean, I had a rock fence, and the desert was right behind our house when I was a kid. And it seemed like in a matter of a couple of weeks, these, these green, huge weeds would grow up, and they'd be taller than my fence. I mean, they would be this, I mean, like six, eight feet around. Huge weeds would grow up. And they would die that fast, and the wind would come, and they'd be pulled up by the root. And I can remember as a kid, we built tumbleweed forts. That's what you did in the desert. You'd get as many of those tumbleweeds together and build a fort. But this huge tumbleweed had a root about that long and about that wide. It was it. That's what grounded that thing. Paul says, you're not to be like a tumbleweed. You're to be rooted, deeply rooted, once and for all. He said in Ephesians 4, don't be tossed around by every wind and wave of false doctrine that comes. I'll just paraphrase it again. Don't be like a tumbleweed. Don't be so shallow in your faith that when the storms come, when the enemy comes, you're blown away. Then in verse 4, he, or again in verse 7, he uses the, the term after root. He says built up. Again, a building term. And it's a present tense, being, being built up. It's a, it's a process. It's constant. You have never arrived. 38 years of marriage, we haven't arrived. 50 years of my Christian life, I haven't arrived. Almost, not 50 yet, but almost. I haven't arrived yet. I'm always growing. I'm always striving to be more Christ-like. And it's Christ at work in me. And that's what I do. I just yield to him. I let him build me. What's the foundation? What did Paul say? 1 Corinthians, the foundation is Christ. Then he uses a, an education term, a schooling term, when he says you were, you were taught this, just as you were taught in verse 7. It's, it, it speaks of the importance of the study of the word of God. And then I love this last phrase in verse seven there, overflowing with gratitude. It's a picture of a river, this vivid picture of a river overflowing its banks. I love that. I can remember I was on a retreat at Alto Frio encampment and the Frio River runs alongside the encampment and they got word that, that there was flash floods coming that we need to get out of the river. So I got out of the river and it looked okay to me. You're sitting up on the deck of the, of the conference center, and maybe another 20, 30, 40 feet down is the river. And so I just sat there, and the river's going like it always gone, but they said, you need to get out of the water and get away. The river's about to crest. And so I sat there, and I'd never seen that before, and I got to watch that river. I thought there would be this wall of water coming, and I could see the wall of water, and that does happen sometime, but what I just watched is that river got bigger and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon, the initial bank, it was overflowed that bank, and the next time it overflowed that bank, and then it came, it was all the way up into the encampment. I got to see how a river overflows its banks. It doesn't happen just like that. It's a slow process. 
And it just reminds me in my Christian walk, it's going to be a slow process. I want to be spiritually mature yesterday. Anybody else? If only, but that's not the way God decides to work. So I love those pictures. I just wanted to highlight them. Stephen Olford said this. He used to say that every spiritual principle is illustrated in nature. And I've looked for that since I heard him say that. So every, every true spiritual principle, you can find it in nature. And that's what Paul was doing here. So be mindful of your progress. Number two, be aware of your spiritual perils. Beware of your spiritual perils. Verses 8 through 10 here, walk us through that. Be careful that no one takes you captive, that no one kidnaps you through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition. That's what the philosophers were doing. They were coming in with human tradition, human teachings, and they were, they were in danger of being kidnapped by those philosophies because they knew enough Bible to be dangerous. Be careful that you don't be taken captive. Listen, you know where most cults get their following from mainline denominational churches? That most people join cults, at least for the last three or four decades that I've been aware, that I've watched this, out of churches like ours. You would think cults would draw people who don't know any Bible, who don't know anything about God, but it's the opposite. They grasp hold of people and pull them in who know just enough. And Paul says, be careful about that. Listen, these false teachers were not asking the Colossians to abandon Christ. We'd be like this, right? They just say, you keep Jesus, but add this to him. You keep doing what you're doing, but you need some more truth. You need some more new revelation. That's what they were doing there. They, they had this philosophy that, that matter was evil and that God, God could not touch evil. So they had these emanations in their, their twisted theology of these different levels of beings coming from God until they finally got to humanity. And, and they taught that Jesus couldn't be completely human. So he was one of those emanations, but just in the spirit. It's just crazy stuff. But they were buying into that because it made sense to them intellectually and common sense. Yeah, that doesn't make sense that God could touch humanity and all that. So they started embracing that. That's why Paul says Jesus was was in bodily form when he died on the cross for you. So that's so important. Again, the supremacy of Christ that Paul is writing about here. I'm just going to jump ahead here and kind of go to the next point in a minute. I remember studying um, about Mormon uh, religion when I was a pretty new Christian, looking at what they believed, and they used the same terms we use. I remember Jimmy Carter at one time got really upset because Southern Baptists were launching an evangelistic strategy into, into the Mormon culture. They said, that's not, he, this is what he said. He said, their belief that Mormon doctrine is essential non-Christian is, is not right. We're off the mark when we say that their beliefs are non-Christian. Folks, their beliefs are non-Christian, but it's very subtle. There are a lot of other groups out there that do that. Listen, I was looking, went back to look at my statistics, and it's back in the 80s. There was a study that was done. 40% of converts that came in the, in the 80s, of 217,000 converts in 1980 alone, 40% of them, you know where they came from? Southern Baptist churches. 40% of their converts that year came out of our churches that teach the Bible and preach the Bible. You know why? Because we don't know the Bible. We are susceptible to these human philosophies and teachings that slip their way in. I need to move on. Number three, be aware of your spiritual provisions. This is where it gets good. Be aware of our spiritual provisions. I'm going to go back since it's been a while since we read 11 through 15. 
You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands, but by putting off the body of the flesh and the circumcision of the Messiah. That's a spiritual circumcision he's talking about. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's talking about a lost person who hasn't been touched by Christ and his Holy Spirit. He made you alive with him and forgave all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, was taken out of the way by nailing it to the cross. You can't get much more clear than that. And he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them. Let's just walk our way through that passage. Paul gives a a a fourfold identification with Christ that we have, and it, it, it shows that legalism and rituals and Human philosophies are unnecessary. Number one, we've been given a transformed heart. We have been given a transformed heart change. He mentions in verse 11 the picture of circumcision. The physical circumcision was just a picture of the spiritual circumcision. You go back to Deuteronomy, the Old Testament, and the cry was to be circumcised in your hearts. Let the flesh of your hearts be cut. Jeremiah talked about that so, so much through his, through his uh, prophecy. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. He talks about this covenant that he has. He says, I have put my, my word in their hearts. I will write it on their hearts. We have been, have been given a transformed heart. Folks, isn't it exciting that walking with Christ is a relationship and it's not about a bunch of rules? It's not about performance. It's not about what I can do for him. It's what he's done for me. Some have said that that religion is due and Christianity is done. The world, most of the religions of the world are, what can you do to get to heaven? Do, 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 get to heaven. But Christianity says it's already been done on the cross. And those, as Annie prayed, those who receive Christ as Savior, those of us who are followers of Christ, we know these things and we have been touched by his Holy Spirit. When we trusted him as Savior, he cut our hearts He pierced our hearts. Listen, we make the same mistake that they were making when we depend on religious rituals and traditions for our our salvation. Even as followers of Christ, we make the same mistake when we depend on all those things to, to keep ourselves in good standing. You can't do anything to make yourself more acceptable to God because Christ did it all. We say that again. You can't do anything to make yourself more acceptable. The Bible says you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You are washed by the blood. You have been cleansed. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. So I love the phrase, as you receive Christ, keep walking in him. You got saved by faith, walk by faith. We don't say it out loud, but a lot of us believe saved by grace, walk by, saved by, by grace and faith, and we walk by works. We wouldn't say that, but a lot of people feel that. If I can only make God happy with me today by how good I am, I'll be in good standing with him. The Bible says you can't be in good standing on your own. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, go back and look at that. It applies to the Christian walk as well as it does our our entrance into the kingdom. Secondly, we've been given a transformed heart. We are identified with Christ. Identified with Christ. He gives us this picture in 12 and 13. You are buried with him in baptism, raised with him through faith. That, that word baptism, we know what it talks about, what happened when we received Christ. We were immersed in Christ, Christ in us. Baptism sometimes refers to the outward testimony. As we, we saw Wednesday night, some, some teenagers were baptized. It's an outward testimony of an inner conversion experience. But baptism also used many times in the New Testament to mean identification. 
You go to 1 Corinthians and Paul talks about Moses and the children of Israel being identified with Moses. It says they were all baptized into Moses. Had nothing to do with water baptism. Had nothing to do with what we, what we talk about, the, the baptism that we do. It had everything to do with being identified with Christ. Here's what Paul's saying. The children of Israel were all baptized into Moses. They were all identified with Moses as their deliverer. So Paul uses that same context here. You have been identified with Christ because you belong to him, because you have identified with him in his baptism. So important. Again, the emphasis here is since since we've been identified with Christ, what more could we need? Dance with the one that brung you. Since you have been, since you've received Christ and been transformed, keep walking in that grace. Since you've been identified with him, why add anything to that? Nothing else is necessary. Thirdly, we've been set free. Hallelujah. We've been singing about it this morning. I was a prisoner. Now I'm not. Hallelujah for the cross. Look at verse 14. He erased the certificate of debt, the sin debt that was against me. Before Christ saved me, before I received him by faith, I had this weight of sin on me. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. If you don't know Christ as Savior, that weight is on you. But he's already paid the price if you'll just receive it by faith. We've been set free. Paul says in verse 14 there, it's been nailed to the cross. Think about, and this, this, this um, word here is used to refer to financial debt. Just think about your financial debt being wiped clean. Set free from that. Whatever burden that is. Recently, just in the last couple of weeks, a coalition of churches in Chicago came together. And they raised $5 million with some different organizations, and they paid off the debt of 6,000 people in the Chicago area. And here's how it happened. They got together, they pooled that money, they went and bought that debt from the collection agencies, however that works, and they ended up sending letters to all these 6,000 people who knew nothing about it. They went to their mailbox one day and opened it up and said, your hospital medical debt has been canceled. It's all medical debt. Your medical debt has been paid for. You've been set free. Wow. Some of us would like that, right? Hey, a bigger debt's been paid. You don't have to go open the mail and look for a letter. You can open the word of God. And here's the statement. You have been set free. Man, debt's been paid. And Lastly, number four, we are victorious in Christ. We are victorious in Christ. Again, these are our spiritual provisions, transformed, identified with him, set free, victorious. Look at verse 15. It almost seems like verse 15 sort of takes us, well, it's got this this incredible climax of verse 14, and then what's verse 15? Well, verse 15 really is a climax. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them. Significant that Paul puts this in here. He gives this picture, and when he talks about that, he talks about other places in Scripture of how the Roman army, this this is the word, the context, when a Roman army would have a, a victorious battle, and they would come back in the streets of Rome, and there would be this procession, and, and all the people who'd been captured would come and be marched through the streets of Rome, and the general would have this big celebration, victorious parade, 
And finally, Rome has conquered another people, another, another land, another country, and this huge victorious celebration. And what it was saying was, these prisoners have been conquered. We're victorious now. And Paul says, in Christ, you are the victor. In Christ, you get to be the procession. Paul speaks of it in another place that we're the aroma to Christ, this, to God, this procession of victory. We're victorious. Listen, folks. It says here that Christ disgraced the enemy publicly. That Roman celebration was to disgrace the enemy publicly. The cross, when we receive Christ as Savior, we become a part of that processional who disgraces the enemy publicly. Folks, Satan doesn't like the cross. He doesn't like us to sing about the cross. He doesn't like us to pray about the cross. He doesn't like us to emphasize the cross. He doesn't like us to emphasize the blood. He hates that because it it proclaims and announces God's victory over sin and death. And Paul puts that in there. He mentions these authorities that have been disgraced and rulers. The, The false teachers had come to Colossae and had said to them, there are all these spiritual beings out there, and Christ is just one of them. All these spiritual beings that control your life, you need to pay attention to. All the, they went into the zodiac and the astrological stuff, and they were saying all that stuff. Paul just throws this in here. Hey, you all know that stuff you all talk about? There's a victory parade going on. And those rulers that you worship and those authorities that you worship, they've been publicly disgraced by the cross. Hallelujah. I love it. Are we making spiritual progress? That's the question today. You know, I drive in the parking lot every time I come to the office or on a Sunday morning, and I look at that gym back there. Are we sick of looking at the gym? Yes. We're waiting for progress to be made on that. Some of you are more disgusted than others. Some of you are. God will take care of this in his time. So everywhere from the continuum, God's going to take care of this to, I'm about to go nuts. They haven't done anything about the gym. So we're all in there, right? Somewhere. And how do you react to that? You think about your spiritual life. You're a work in progress. And I wonder as God looks at your life, as he looks at my life, what's he saying? Are they ever going to finish that thing? Are they ever going to make a move? What are they trusting in? What in that life that I'm looking at needs to be changed so that progress can be made? I just wonder, as the Father looks at my life, is he pleased? Is he pleased? Let's pray together.